Have you ever had to wait for something and dreaded it? Like maybe for you, you're on the list for Packer season tickets and you're like number 53,000. Maybe for you, it's the dreaded spinning wheel of death on your computer as it's buffering, loading that page. Maybe it's the checkout line. Maybe it's that super long drive that you're about to embark on. Maybe it's for the results to finally come through. Maybe it's for the baby to finally show up. Maybe it's for a big life change to happen. Or maybe maybe it's more serious even, or even something that you're still waiting for and, and dreading today, like a health change or a financial change or a marriage change or family change or relationship change. Waiting is brutal. I'm in the uh, waiting for the baby one right now. Not even though I'm pregnant, right? But I'm also uh, about to embark on the driving one soon. Uh, my family is about to embark on a 19-hour road trip. Yay! Two kids under four, a pregnant wife, and a lot of road time, right? Yay! My kids are usually great for an hour. <laughs> but then they get restless, like the complaining, the ask for the 50th snack, the whining, the mess, the bathroom break. The frozen moving playing in the background for the tenth time. The the like, you know, just the craziness. And for about like ten hours or so, we can kind of survive. But then they get to the spot where they're like, I'm done. Get me out of here. And they're yelling, they're screaming, and they're doing everything they can to get out. And I start feeling the exact same thing too. Like, get me out of here, please. But where we are driving, they're absolutely going to love. And I've explained it to them. It's the beach. It's the sand. It's the warm. It's the sun. It's the swimming. It's the family time. All of their favorite things. And they are excited about it when I explain it to them. And for like the first few minutes of the drive. But then that excitement dwindles. I can tell them. I can paint a picture. I can give them the details about it. I can give them guidance or to withstand the 19 hours. But in their minds, they just don't fully comprehend it, nor want to fight through the grueling hours to get there. Have you been there before? If so, pray for me, right? Pray for me and give me tips on your, on your long driving tips. But I also want to ask you more seriously now, from the kids' side of things, have you been there too? Waiting, having the positive result described to you, excited about it, even being up for what you needed to do to get there, but don't want to do the waiting anymore, the grueling process while you're in the middle of it. If so, hold on to this story because it is such a clear image of the rooted in faith practice we're covering this week. But before we go any further, I thought I would say good morning to you. Morning. Come on. Oh, yes, God. All right. We got a morning back to each other. Uh, welcome to Centerpoint. My name is Aaron Master. I'm a pastor here. This week, what we're doing is we're continuing our message series called Rooted in Faith. And what we've been doing is for these first two months is we've been prioritizing traditional practices of a follower of Jesus and trying to have them sink down deep into our lives. There are a number of things like Jesus, he didn't think his followers would just try to do, but he expected them to train with and prioritize with their lives daily as he did. Matthew 16, 24 to 25, it says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. 
So giving up our own way, our own desires, our own habits, or even, or even what makes sense sometimes, and doing the practices Jesus did, is living that verse out. And that means doing things like engaging with the Bible. It's praying. It's worshiping God. It's raising your family in faith. It's serving. It's being a part of a church community, and it's sharing your faith. As you sit here today, where are you at with these things? Are you training with them or maybe just trying or you tried them and you feel it wasn't for you and kind of moved on and stopped? I'll be the first to say or to raise my hand and say, I've struggled with all of these practices at one point in my life. All of them that have been modeled and taught by Jesus. Thank God at the end of the day, like it's simply our personal relationship with Jesus that we'll be judged on. But, but I've gone through moments where I feel like I've tried them. And then just stopped because they didn't seem worth it or like it, it was doing anything in my life. How about you? Are there some you're not doing anymore? Each week, instead of saying, well, you should just do them because the Bible says you should, because it does, it does. And I hope at one point you and I would be completely obedient to these things purely because we want to be obedient to God's word. But instead of just saying that from stage here, we're taking time to understand why. Like, why should we train with them? And then how should we train with them? So that they're a part of our life consistently, not temporary. And so that we live the life the way the creator intended for us to live. Like literally, we're giving you, you reasons and ways that you can get yourself to start training in some of these things today. Even for the person who knows they should be doing these things, but have zero desire to actually do them. And the reason we're, we're, we're kind of presenting it this way as a church is, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but with the people you interact with daily, the practicing Christian is declining. I showed this last week, but I think it's worth showing again. The number of non-practicing Christians, so someone who's a Christian, but I don't really do those things that Jesus did, is increasing. That's the teal, uh, it's the teal line. It started at like 35, it's up to like 45 is kind of where it got to. And then the, the practicing Christian has declined 45 to 25. And then the non-Christian keeps increasing. Now, I don't know about you, I want to change that. I want to change that by encouraging you to start some of these. Because we saw that Jesus wants us to do these practices. Not just trying to do them, but helping you see that when we commit to these, we should be training with them for our life or with our life. So, so far in the series, we've covered engaging with the Bible, prayer, and serving. This week, we're training towards being a person who worships. When someone thinks of worship, especially like in the church world, I think many of us instantly think of music and singing and dancing and maybe maybe even a little bit more charismatically, kind of like this. Check it out. Up in the church with my ponies, trying to get a little praise up and keep it down on the low key. Cause you know how I get. I saw a shoulder, she was singing up on me. From the game, she was singing in my ear, you would think that she owed me. So we decided to chill. The worship got heavy, heavy. I'm the mere feeling like I'm ready to blow. Oh, God's singing, come get me. So I got down and brought my knee to the floor. My knee is to the floor. 
That's when I told God I said. That was a recording from the first service. Um, so you guys maybe need to pick it up a little bit. I don't even know what to do with that, right? Yet the singing, the dancing, or the breaking it down isn't necessarily a full picture of worship. If you've been in the church world before, I'm sure you've, you've heard of the Ten Commandments or the laws in the Old Testament in which the first law God gave us or his people is in Exodus 22 through 6. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So God says to his people, I've saved you from slavery. You felt my rescue. You've experienced it. But now I am your God. And if that's the case, your worship is to only me. But what does that even mean, right? Like, like to worship. Like when you think of worship, what else do you think of besides singing? Or is it just singing? A video clip that kept coming to mind for me is actually from the movie Wayne's World with Mike Myers. Like where they're like bowing. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. Like, right? It's silly. But it's, bowing is kind of part of it for worship. Worship is bowing, it's giving allegiance to, it's listening, it's full respect, it's singing. If we, if we look at the definition of worship, it is this. It's to treat someone or something with the reverence and adoration appropriate to a deity or God. Meaning to treat something as if it's God or above all or the most important. But this still leaves me questioning, like, how does that translate to worshiping God? Or how do we actually give God what he deserves? Sure, it's singing, it's bowing, it's, it's respecting. But is that it? Jesus, he expands a little bit on this, on that first commandment. Um, when someone asks him, like, what is the greatest commandment, Jesus? Which is the one we just looked at. But he says this, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus affirms that the first commandment, or the worship of God, is most important. And he says, with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Now, I'm no scientist, but heart to me is like your compassion and feelings, right? Your soul is like your deep desire and your longing, and your mind is your intellect. That is the most important commandment, like focusing all that to God for worship. But how do we give him that? How do we do that for a God we can't see? And I think a lot of us would say you worship God as that ending part of that passage, which would be by loving others. And I, I would agree, that's part of it. But if we, if we look at that passage again, like Jesus states, love God and love others as two separate things. So they're obviously not mutually the same. Again, the definition of, of worship is giving something a ruler or a God deserves. So in my mind, we kind of compile this all. It's respect. It's giving authority. It's adoration, which could be praise and singing and devotion and thought. It's listening to his ways, like following God's orders to love others. And maybe it's even bowing both physically and figuratively. Would you agree? Like worshiping God is seeing that he's greater, wiser, better, and ruler over us. And to do the action of worshiping him is to consciously express that and be willing to submit and listen to what he says to do. Scripture says it this way, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. 
God is a spiritual being who we must adore and sing to and devote to and pray to and think about and respect. Those are all great. But that's worship in spirit. I mean, we see countless times people do that in Scripture. Like, they worship in spirit to God. It's perfect. It's beautiful. But in truth, is following through with your actions. Like, being obedient to God. We see countless times in Scripture, like, people do that. But also, a lot of times, people do not do that. Where they put their desires over God's. And, and this is what God works on with us, because that's the case for us, too. He loves us no matter what, but he wants our heart first. If you were to think about your life right now, where do you land? Where do you land on that? You can assess yourself by asking the question, is God truly number one in my life? Is he authority in my life? I'll be the first to say or kind of admit, like I go through times where he's not. Times where like worship, I worship God in spirit, but not really in truth. Like, I mean, in spirit, like, I probably would say 99% of the time I'll be like, I love God. Like, yeah, God, God, heal me. God, you're my number one. Like, I, yeah, you're, you're, you're my one defense. Like, I'll praise you forever. I'll follow your ways. But then in truth, like when the rubber hits the road to be obedient, maybe when I look at my life and my decisions, there are things I find myself thinking, God, God, you're fine if I do it this way. Or, you know, next time or just just this time I'm going to do it my way you know like I think times have changed since when you last like spoke to like your people and made scripture like I, I, you'll see God I think this is really what's best right now in this era of time and I do and I say things like that and I choose my desires over God's do you do that what we do is we tend to idolize our thoughts and our desires or other priorities over God's and this is just wrong but where it's tricky is like it doesn't feel wrong. It feels like my heart's desire for some of these things. It feels like they should be right because my heart's telling me. But like Romans one twenty four, it says, and so God has given those people over to do the filthy things their hearts desire. Our hearts are filthy, he says. And don't even get me started on our minds, right? But our hearts desire things that are not of God. And when we move forward with them, we are not seeing God as number one. We're not worshiping him as he commands us to. If I share a little bit more about me, trying to be as open with you as possible, the things I desire in my heart and mind that compete with God, it usually deals with success. Like that's for me. Like I, like I want, I find myself like idolizing success, more, more money, more experiences, more luxury, more, more stuff than God's ways. The other one that like comes to mind is like my time. Um, how much should be devoted to God, like in his word and prayer and like connecting with him versus Netflixing and even working and being with my family and, and all of those things. And then the other one like that really comes to mind is like my happiness. Like I, I think God wants me to be relaxed and happy. So like sometimes I pursue happiness over obedience. So it's like, you know, I could go for another drink. Or, you know, I could go for another just like veg out where I just like hang out and, and just do nothing and spend time to myself, work on self-care instead of like doing anything for anyone else to relieve pressure my way. None of these things are wrong per se, but when I choose them consistently over God, they've become an idol. As I've gone through my life, I, I found there are a lot of competing things that come into our lives for our allegiance before God. And I know this when I ask myself the question, could I give this up 
for God. And at first take, like when I start thinking about certain things like time or money or whatever it is, I squirm and I'm like, yeah, I could get that out. Yeah. But then I find myself making an excuse like, you know, like when the worship of spirit and truth both are necessary. Like I, I think, you know, I need the money, God, actually this time or I need the power here or I need the happiness or I'm right and they're wrong or I need the time. I know what's best. And when I reflect on those, I know I'm worshiping these things more than God. And it's hard to let the hooks of them go in our lives. How about you again? If someone were to ask you today, would you give up blank to worship God? Is there anything that maybe you would wrestle with or like struggle with that in truth you probably couldn't? Is it money, fame, or time, family time, self-care, fun, power, pleasure? God isn't like a buzzkill who doesn't want you to ever have these things. He does, but the question both of heart and mind and soul or in spirit and truth is God wants to know, will you give those things up if he asks? And what's tough is we don't. We don't. And we worship God alongside these things in our lives. And what happens is we're no longer free then. We become more like a slave to these other things. Romans 6.16, it says, Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. This passage is saying that we all will end up obeying and worshiping something at some point. It could be God, it could be something else, but you get to choose. Have you ever found yourself fighting with something else? Like found yourself unable to say no to that extra money or work? Or not able to let that person's disapproval of you go? Or that thing you want more than anything else, not distract your mind from the thing you're actually supposed to be focused on. Or to desire for more power and it's compromising your values. Or comparing what others have and letting that steal your joy. Just me on these? Those are all me at times. We create idols. And these idols compete with our worship of God and enslave us. About 10 years ago, um, spoken word was like huge. It was all everywhere, it seemed. Like it was tons of videos on YouTube. Uh, but there were a few popular ones that really stuck out to me. And this one in particular deals with counterfeit idols. It's by Jefferson Bethke. And he did it on it. And I'm just going to show you like a minute and a half of it. But I think it hits home to what we're talking about. Check it out. You might say, I don't believe in God. But the Bible says, not possible. See, everyone has a God, whether or not it's the God of the gospel. You might not believe in God, but everyone has that one thing that's king. Even the dictionary defines God as whatever we make supreme. Because it's a theme, it's a thread. You see it inside all human beings, the fact that we all worship. And no, it's not just about singing. Now, I know you're like, Jeff, I don't worship. I put that on the shelf, but I say technically we all worship. We just worship ourselves. See, we all worship something. To an object, we're all liable. Ladies, to some, your boyfriend is your God, and Cosmo is your Bible. Yet, we mock and we laugh at the Israelites' golden calf, but we do the same thing right back. It just looks a little different than that. So question, what's on your throat? See, what do you chase so that you don't feel alone? See, what defines you? What do you give ultimate worth? And what, if taken, would bring ultimate hurt? Now, see, that is your God. And all of us, we've sacrificed deep joy for shallow happiness. To be honest, we look like fools. We're like full-grown adults in the kiddie pool going, oh my goodness, guys, this is like so 
cool because we're slaves to our possessions. We're always craving something new. Reality check. If you can't give it up, you don't own it. It owns you. Are you worshiping God first or are other things competing for that worship? We all worship something or see something as supreme. What is it for you? What maybe owns you before God? Is it the Packers or the weak in comfort? Is it money? Is it to be light, happiness? Is it you, time, family, achievement, success, good works? What do you worship? Because if it's not God, Scripture says it's something. And if it's something else, watch out. Because you might be a slave to it. And unfortunately, everything besides God fades, right? It dies or fails at some point. Uh, but God doesn't. Joshua 21, 45, it says, Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. God promises, right? He makes promises that are fulfilled. He promises to help and care for us. Like Jeremiah 29, 11, a lot of you know this verse, but for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. We want to stay rooted in him because he gives our life's plans and purpose and uses it for good. He wants a future with all of us. And he knows that, he knows that if he's number one in our lives, he gets to maximize our purpose in the world and, and that we'll be free. We're free to do as we please. So I want to pause the message here for a second and say, this is the why. This is the why we need to be rooted in the worship of God alone. Again, like the kind of recap, it's like God is our creator and deserves our devotion and allegiance. God doesn't want us to be slaves to other things, and God wants to use us for good. But now let's shift to the how. Like, how do we make sure we are worshiping God first? How can we start getting ourselves doing it? Because it's hard, right? I think the first thing we can start doing is we can look to Jesus' example. Like, Jesus was a human. He was a person who was fully devoted to God. He worshiped him first. Now I get it. Like, you're like, Jesus is like an entirely different person. He lived in a different era. Like, he is way different than me, Aaron. He had no spouse, no job, no money, no hobbies, no, no kids, no house, no bills. Jesus' example in the world, like, isn't for us to, like, just give up all those things because you're different than a traveling preacher these days. You're not the Messiah, right? But Jesus still did have the same desires we do, such as, like, a temptation for happiness or luxury or power or money or sex or pleasure or family obligations. These are natural things we desire, and they can all be good things too. But we see that Jesus, he lived a life where he didn't allow himself to give these things a competing chance for number one in his life. For example, like, he made sure he didn't have a lot of money. He just didn't. Whether that was by choice or not, but he didn't have a lot of money. He didn't have a lot of stuff. He was always traveling, always on the move. Nothing held him back. He always told the truth, not just like what was pleasing for people to hear. He didn't go to the tempting party. He loved his family, like his mother. He cared for her. He loved her dearly. But he didn't let that stop pursuing his mission for God. Right? Sure, he had fun and joyful moments with, with some of these things in our world, but they would always be second in his life. He was willing to pivot and devote fully if he needed. And the way he was able to do that was keeping, I think, a healthy balance, a healthy distance to never allow things to gain his allegiance or become a slave to it. And how I think he did that and how you can too is, I think like 
instead of like holding on to a lot of money, you can be generous. In, instead of having a lot of stuff, you can minimize. Uh, instead of like just doing what's pleasing, you can think about others first, what they actually need to hear. Um, maybe it's double checking your desires instead of going with what's tempting or temptation. And then choosing obedience over obligation. Like what does God ultimately want from you? It's not wrong to have stuff or have money or seek pleasure, but, but could you give it up if, it, if God asked of it? Jesus could, because he did it in truth and with his actions. Are you following suit? The second thing I think we can do to make sure worship is rooted is, is follow God's direction on keeping things second. If you study idols or things people get enslaved to, the, there's, there's a lot of common themes. There's some, there's some main ones. And what's amazing is God has prescribed methods to keep him first for almost all of these it's like he knew. It's why he put it in scripture. There's a popular pastor. His name is uh, Timothy Keller. He's passed now, but he wrote this amazing book. It's called Counterfeit Gods. It was maybe 15 years old. It's really good. I'd highly recommend it. But here's a little bit about what he says about counterfeit gods and idols that we tend to make in our lives and the common ones. Check it out. When many people hear the term idolatry, they immediately think of people bowing down to statues. However, idolatry can be much more than that. That ancient concept has never been more relevant because idolatry does happen here. It's not only something you do physically bowing down to statues, it's also a matter of the heart. An idol is anything more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning in life, or identity. So idols are not bad things, they're really good things turned into ultimate things. Anything can be an idol. So the obvious idols are money, sex, and power. Many of us understand that these idols in our culture are wreaking havoc. So he says money, sex, and power. Do you get hooked in any of these? Are they what you maybe would choose before God? Like they are the most common, but they also are the ones that God has literally given us a prescription to in, in his word of how to make sure that we don't worship them before God or become a slave to it. Like, like money, for example. Let's start with that one. Like God knows it gets its hooks in us, so he wants our devotion to him in this area. And not just spirit, but also in truth. So God asks for a tithe. A, a tithe is 10%. God asks for 10% of your income. In Leviticus 27.30, it says, A tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain or fruit, is the Lord's and is holy. Yee, 10%. I'm right there with you. Like, that's a, that's a lot. And just FYI, like, pastors aren't exempt from this either. Like, it's not like, ooh, pastors get out on this one. No, I'm in this too. That's a lot, 10%. But God asks that because he wants to keep us at arm's length from money to make sure that we aren't a slave to it. But he says he blesses us when we do it. Malachi 3.10, it says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Nowhere else in scripture does God say, test me. Like, test me in this area and I will help you see that it is worth it. Now, I don't mean to take this lightly because 10% is a crazy ton. It is. But when you worship God first, you trust that he'll take care of you. And that means financially as well. Tithing is obedience to God. It's worship 
of him first over your opinion or your money desires or, or what maybe even everyone says you should do or shouldn't do. That's what tithing is. Now, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying this to brag, but, but I do tithe. But it is brutally hard for me to do it. It is really hard for me to do this. Like when I see the amount, it's like, oh, I could go on a trip, like sailboat that I really want, like UTV, eating out whenever I want, like, oh, get that girl's that thing that they really want. And I have this moment of thought of like, I need those things. I need those things, God. But would I just be a slave to them and my money's desires before God if I choose them over that? Maybe, maybe if God didn't help me. Honestly, I, I don't say this to guilt you because I know it's a lot of money, 10%. But, but if money is that big of a deal to you and you're maybe struggling with it or has a hold on you, God's word is meant to help you. That's why it's there. I asked a few people who tithe here at church, like if it was hard for them to get going on this. And, and here's, here's some of their responses. This was the first one. Like, we used to be people that gave $20 a week when we showed up for church. We finally had a pastor that said, giving isn't about giving here at the church. It's about giving to God. So give somewhere because it's part of your journey as a Christian. That changed our perspective. It wasn't about the church making budget. It was about us and God. We started small and each year grew towards tithing. Another person said this. They said, we were giving when we were younger in kind of a way of whatever we had left. We felt if we were really going to be all in, in with our relationship with God, that should no longer be the case. He should get our first 10% and we made a commitment to do that, even though it was really hard by setting that aside. And then when I asked them, like, like, what do you, have you seen blessings from this? Have you seen, like, your faith grow from this? Someone said this, absolutely. I think it's made a difference for us in that we are truly trusting that God will provide for us if we follow what he ha- asks of us. It's not always easy to give away your hard-earned money, but it definitely increases our faith that God will have our back. Now, these are real people, like you and me, who live in our time period that come to this church and they know and feel the hooks of money. I get saying like, give 10% today. might be like dropping a bomb on you right now. Like, I'm sorry. But I want to encourage you to worship God's ways first before your own. And, and that might mean tithing starting today. Not to be a buzzkill, but, but to free you from the hooks of money. I don't, I don't want to give you a cop-out, but, but maybe for you it means just starting to give. Maybe it's 1% or 2% to start loosening the, your, your worship of money, the grips of it. But maybe it's not money for you. Again, we had mul- there were multiple topics. Uh, maybe it's power. Power. If you were here last week, God tells us to serve others first. Maybe you need to worship God first instead of chasing power by putting yourself in a humble spot to serve others. God instructs us to seek his kingdom and his kingdom is built on humility and giving and being last. Matthew 20, 16, it says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. Is that you? Would you say that's you? Willing to be humble and and serve others in your church and at work and in your community and at home. Maybe, Maybe it's not that one for you either. Again, there were three of them that were kind of the main ones. Maybe it's pleasure or sex. Like maybe you're chasing pleasure outside of marriage. God built sex to be between a husband and a wife, and it's meant to make the relationship stronger. It's, it, if that's not where you're getting it, you might be a slave to, to images or the exotic place or the wrong person or whatever it is. Maybe you need to pursue sex in its rightful path as God prescribes and have it only be filled in that rightful path. 
so that your worship is at arm's length and God is prioritized, not your pleasure or cravings. You see, God knows it's hard to keep worshiping only him first and him first alone. He knows especially so in some of these areas, which is why he's helped us. He's given his word on it. Do you need to start studying maybe some of these? Which one? And that, maybe it's not just these, but maybe you're a serious Christian here right now who's like, I, I got a handle on sex. I got a handle on, on power. I got a handle on money. I'm following God in these areas. I'd ask you to look at this list and see like what else could be creeping in. Like it could be it, just TV or your children are is what you worship. There, maybe it's your success or like alcohol or an addiction. Maybe it's comfort or approval or maybe it's just like that family time. What is that thing that you can't say no to? Is it creeping in? The last thing that we can do to make sure that we worship God first is persevere. Persevere. After God rescued his people from slavery and gave the first commandment, right, in Exodus, he says, no other gods before me, not make for yourself an image. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. And they just got freed from slavery. They were like, okay, we're all in. This is great. Idols weren't a problem. We're in, God. Until it was a problem, right? What happens is a month or two later, Moses, he goes to direction from, to get direction from God away from the people. And he's gone kind of a long time. And while they're there waiting for Moses and God's direction, they get impatient and they make a golden calf, right? They make a golden calf. That seems silly, but they make a golden calf. If you've never heard the story, it happens in the Old Testament. Like it's right after, again, right after God saves thousands of people from their slavery through sending impressive plagues and convincing them, the Pharaoh or a king of that time, like to let the people go. And he does. And then through Moses, he, he's leading them to this promised land of getting to this great land. Can you imagine that? Like God rescued them. Everything is great. We're going towards a great land. Their life has been completely freed by God. And then and they're excited about it. They're excited about him. Have you been there before? Like excited about God, what God's maybe doing in your life? And you're like, I'm all in. Yeah, let's do this. But then Moses goes to be alone with God and to come back like for direction for the people. And this happens. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Now this isn't me. This is Moses, right? Uh, but, but they were getting impatient and doing what God wanted while they waited. And it says this, Come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. This fellow? Like, really? This is the guy who led you out of slavery, right? Aaron answered them, Take off your gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings, brought them back to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And they start to worship it. They experience God's healing, his freedom, and help, but they lose steam, or it gets too hard, and they revert back to their old ways of worshiping something else. Something else pops up, something that never seemed to be an issue until it was. Again, is that you? I think it's easy for us to laugh at, like, come on now. This is, this is a piece of gold. In this situation, an inflatable. 
It's, it's easy for us to laugh at that. But it's also easy for us to laugh at that, that comment that someone says like, are you drinking too much? Or does money have its hooks on you? Or like, can you say no to overtime work? Like that, that's optional? Or are you like so concerned about the success of your kid in that sport that you don't think about anything else? Or is that nighttime habit that you have, like, I feel like it might be causing an issue. Or whatever it is. Is that thing enslaving you and it's easy to laugh and be like, no, no, it's not. I think it's easy for us to be like, God, like, you and I are good. Don't worry about me becoming a slave to something else. We'll be good. I don't need your safeguards to worship you first. I, I will. And that's the trap we all fall into. When I started the message today, we talked about having an end goal or destination in mind, in sight, but having to wait. The end goal of a Christian life is the statement, well done, my good and faithful servant from God. And I don't doubt that many of you will get there and experience that because it's about our relationship with Jesus first. But will that statement be said to you because of your obedience and worship to God in spirit and in truth for you? Will you persevere even when you're at hour 10 of the drive? Will you persevere and have him be who you worship first and only him when you're getting tired and old and the car ride's getting long and you want out? Will you keep your eyes on the price? Persevere. As we wrap up, we're like kind of halfway through this series, Rooted in Faith, and it feels long to me. Normally we only do like month-long series and this is like a two-month-long one. And I feel like I'm kind of giving you like this list. You got to start doing this, start doing this, start doing this. But these are practices that will change your life for good, for God, right? Don't lose sight of the rootedness that they will offer you. A lifelong relationship with God of closeness to him. Don't lose sight of that. To end our message, I actually, I want to go right into a worship song because I think it's so fitting with today's message, but specifically our series as well. It's a unique song. We don't normally do it, but it's about staying the course. There's no way you're going to let me down, God. There's no way you're going to like abandon me. You're going to help me through these things and persevering and making sure that we're worshiping God is number one. So we're going to end with that. But before the band close, or has, plays that song for us, I'm going to pray. Would you pray with me uh, as they work their way up? Here, God, thanks for today. Thank you for just giving us even some prescriptions, God, to make sure that we worship you first. God, I just pray that um, whatever it is that maybe maybe is like pulling for our attention, I just pray that you have, uh, have that be aware to us so that we can pursue you and make sure that we're free. You want us free. And God, we want, we want closeness to you, so help us experience that and help us put you first in all areas of life. In Jesus' name we pray.